Uh, Father, you're good to us tonight. We love you. We thank you for a great day and for a great evening together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that, that you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all working for us and with us tonight to help us. And Father, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize that you have great things prepared for us. And Lord, those great things aren't just when we get to heaven one day, but those great things are now. They're here. They're tonight, Lord. And I thank you that you're helping us bring our hearts to attention to receive with humility and meekness, Lord God, your word to become engrafted into our souls, Father, and that you are changing us uh, moment by moment, day by day, glory to glory, into the same image of Jesus himself. Thank you, Father, for a life and peace this evening and for what it means to be spiritually minded in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, I just taking one last peek at that recording, make sure it's working. Um, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's open them to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, okay? And uh, I'm going to get you kind of situated there, and then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little review from last week, okay? I'm going to do it for two reasons. Number one, three reasons. Uh, number one, I'm going to do it because we always do, all right? But number two, um, our, our ladies uh, had an, an awesome event uh, last Wednesday, and so they weren't able to be here, a lot of them, so... Uh, I'm going to review for your benefit, and then the third reason, of course, is because um, last week's class was not captured on the recording, and so we'll at least try to get the highlights of that class um, covered if we can. Does that sound good? Okay, so um, a few things. Last week, we began to talk about salvation, and um, I'm going to assume, and I've learned to never do that, I always ask people, but you know, again, I'm going to make an assumption that every person in this room has been born again. There may be someone who listens to this on the internet or somebody shares a recording with them who is not. And so by born again, of course, we're talking about receiving salvation or the gift of salvation. Sometimes we here down in the South express it this way, I got saved, right? Anybody ever told about I got saved, okay? Well, praise God, we got saved. And, um, and listen, thank God for it. Jesus did all the heavy lifting and he actually made it easy for us to get saved. And don't you let no new age, new highfalutin preacher tell you that somehow it's difficult to be born again. It's not. Jesus did all the work. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So if you cry out to him from a sincere heart, um, you'll be born again. One of my favorite uh, preachers in all the world is a man named Jesse Duplantis. And he knelt at a urinal and was born again in a bathroom just by his life was miserable and he was just, you know, at, at the end of his rope, so to speak. And so uh, he was raised Catholic. He knew about God, but had never been born again. And so he knelt down at that urinal and received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, right? So, but when we talk about being born again, my experience, both personally, in other words, my own life and walk with Jesus, but as well as, you know, my experience in working with other people, is that there's a whole lot of folks who have got saved. There's a whole lot of people who've been born again, receive salvation, but they really don't understand what they receive. They really don't understand what it, what it means to be born again or what happened when they were. Okay? Now, because of that, we don't have the proper respect or the proper appreciation, maybe would be a better word, um, for our salvation. And again, because we don't understand it as well, it makes it very easy for the enemy to deceive us and confuse us where this absolute most important event in our lives is concerned, all right? So we're going to break down some things and, and talk about salvation, and we're going to talk about it some more tonight. We began this conversation on last Wednesday. Now, 
When we talk about being saved, the picture I want you to have in your mind is someone in water that's drowning and they need to be rescued, okay? And so, you know, when we say, I've been saved, the first question we need to answer is, saved from what? Okay, if we've been rescued, obviously if you pull someone drowning out of the water, they've been saved from drowning or been saved from, you know, the water that they, you know, could not sustain themselves in any longer. You and I uh, were saved, but saved from what? Now, the first answer people go to is, well, Jesus saved me from my sin, okay, or my sins, plural. And if you said that, you would not be wrong, all right? He did save you from your sin, but he actually saved you from much more than that. So if you only say he saved me from my sin, that would be correct knowledge, but it would also be incomplete or even shallow knowledge, all right? So, and by the way, a lot of people say, we'll get into this later, but a lot of people say, well, I've been forgiven for my sin. And that would be also true, but not complete. Because Jesus did not just forgive you for your sin, He took your sin away, not in part, but in whole. Alright? He took it completely out of the picture. Even sin you haven't committed yet has been paid for. Don't use that as an excuse to go commit any, not that we ever needed an excuse. But I'm just telling you what's been done for you. Okay? Now, let me get back. I got stirred up about that. Alright? So again, even when people, their understanding of salvation, um, you know, they say, well, what does it mean to be saved? It means Jesus forgave me for my sins. Well, yes, He did forgive you. But remember, there was forgiveness available under the Old Covenant by the sacrificing of an animal. Um, but that blood covered over sin. It did not take it away. Only the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to remove sin and then purge our consciousness, our awareness, our conscience. The New King James Version says, but it's literally your awareness of sin. Uh, from you, okay? So, if it's more than He saved us from our sins, then what else could there be, alright? Well, what we've learned from Scripture is that sinful behavior is a result of sinful thinking. In other words, what we do in the flesh is determined by how we think and how we emote, feel, and the choices that we make, which that's part of, the, of, 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 of your existence known as your soul. So we know then that um, our trouble, our issues, or our, what we needed to be rescued from was more than our behavior. Somebody say amen to this, all right? I, I'm, I'm struggling here because, amen, I'm trying to rush through this. But. So we got behavior problems, and Jesus came to save us from those behavior sin problems. But it was more than that. So we said, well, okay, well, maybe then it was something to do with the way we think and all that. Yes, he did that as well, and that's a work in progress ongoing in our lives. But the real problem that we all had was deeper than our behavior, deeper than our thinking and emotions. It went all the way to the nature level of your existence. Now by nature, I do not mean mother nature. Nature, by simple definition, is um, the essence of a thing. Okay, So there is an, a nature of an apple, and there's a nature of an orange, right? In other words, the characteristics, the qualities that are an apple are different from the characteristics, qualities that are an orange, okay? So we could say it this way. The nature of an apple is different from the nature of an orange. Yes? Okay. So that's what we mean. Our problem was a problem of our nature, okay? So we're not just talking about changing our personality. We're not just talking about changing our lifestyle. We're not just talking about changing our thinking. We're not just talking about changing our feelings. We're not just talking about changing our behaviors or our behavior issues. Okay? 
We're talking about something that absolutely positively has to be changed in us that is beyond anything we can do anything about. Okay? So we're talking about the nature of man. The nature of man. Right? Now, Jesus said this in a conversation with Nicodemus in John the third chapter. He said, you must be born a second time. You must be born again. Nicodemus, very educated man, but he was confused by this. Scratched his head, asked Jesus this question. How can a man when he's old, grown, full grown, go back into his mother's womb, be born out of her womb a second time? Jesus said, unless you're born, watch me now, unless you're born of water, physical birth, and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, entering into the kingdom of God is... is is in conjunction with the new birth, which is also in conjunction with or, or connected with salvation, being saved. In other words, you are saved, rescued through an experience known as the new birth. We hadn't quite got there yet, but we're head there, okay? Some of this is review, some of this is new. So if you think I'm only reviewing and you're here last week and you're thinking about Facebook or something, let's dial back in, all right? Okay? Everybody good? Sometimes I feel a little silly, okay? We're we going too fast? All right, I know, baby, for some of you new folks, we're maybe going a little too fast, all right? So let's go back to what he said in John 3. Unless you're born of water physically and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we enter the kingdom of God through the new birth. You are born into the kingdom just like you were born into this world. Physically, you were born into the world. How do we get into the kingdom of, of God? You are born into that kingdom, all right? So Nicodemus was still a little bit confused here. So Jesus went on to explain, and listen to this very carefully. That which is born, Jesus speaking, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Now, let's get something straight. We need to nail this down very quickly, all right? And that is, when you were born again, you received salvation, okay? And the new birth experience is not figurative, it is literal. In other words, people hear, you know, new birth, and they think it's like turning over a new leaf. Okay? That's not what this means. This is not like... You know, it's as if I was born again. No, it's not as if you were born again. You were born a second time. Not physically, and even not in your soulish part. Right? The part of you that was born a second time is this part of you. The real you, your spirit, Okay, the part of you that will live forever or die forever somewhere. Now, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of the corrupted seed or corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Right? So when you were born physically, you were born from seed. Okay? Every person in this room came from a seed. And I know that almost, if it wasn't true physiologically, biologically, it would seem almost absurd and ridiculous to say, but it's true nonetheless. You came from a seed. Okay? Now, the Bible says when we were born the second time, 1 Peter 1.23, we were not born again from a corrupted seed, from a seed that had been corrupted or a seed that had been contaminated, okay? A contaminated seed because seed re reproduce after their kind. Corn's going to produce corn every time, right? An apple seed's going to produce an apple every time. An orange seed's going to produce an orange every time. So seed reproduce after their kind. If the seed is corrupted, then what's born of that seed is also going to be corrupted if it's contaminated. So what we see then is that Adam was, was corrupted in his sin. I'm going to show you this again tonight, but I mean, I'm going to show it to you for the first time, and we mentioned it last week. 
Because Adam's seed was corrupted, we were born from corrupted seed, which caused us to have a sin nature. The Bible says that we were children of wrath, okay, and that we were sons and daughters of disobedience. It was not, it was not your sin that made you a sinner by nature. Not that we haven't committed our own sin, but it was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was Adam's sin that caused you to be born with a sin nature. Okay? So when Jesus says you must be born again, the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it in the first place. You cannot change nature without changing seed. So when we were born a second time, we were not born a second time of a corrupted seed, but we were born a second time of an incorruptible seed. The Word of God, the Bible says, which lives and abides forever. This is why you have eternal life right now. The Bible says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, who believed on Him should not perish, but what have eternal life. We have this crazy notion that when Sister Saint so-and-so dies, that she you know, falls in, in, you know, into death, and then God says, oh, wait, wait, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, somebody get her some life down there. Get her eternal life. No, no, no. Sister so-and-so, Saint so-and-so, she received and was given eternal life. Come on now. The Zoe life and nature of God. The moment she was born again. If you're born again, you have eternal life in you right now. He fills my soul with laughter. I'm not going to die. Are you understanding? One day I will step out of this tent into the presence of my Creator. Amen. So the, the, the life and nature of God that is without ending, it's not just something you've been given, it's who you've now become. It's who you've now become because you were born of His seed. You were born of His seed. So Ephesians goes on to say, that we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. Okay, Why were we by nature children of wrath? Because we were the offspring of wrath. We were the offspring of damnation. This is why Jesus says those who have not believed on Him, He didn't come to condemn the world. He came so that a, a condemned world, because of a condemned world's actions, could be saved, could be rescued from their sin, and whoever does not believe on Him is still living under condemnation. But those who have been born again, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And if you read it tomorrow, it will still say now. It will still say now. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So do you see why this is not a figurative experience? It's a literal experience. Now, this question and comments were made last week. Pastor Mark, I don't feel saved. Well, you know what? There's been a lot of Monday mornings I haven't felt saved either. But this is something deeper inside of you than feelings. Flesh is here. Feelings are here. Spirit is here. Amen. Alright, let's do this right now. I'm jumping ahead of myself in my notes. Alright? I want you to imagine for a moment. Now... This has gone over well uh, in some classes, and others just looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate, right? So, but I'm, I'm going with it, right? I mean, I drove to Publix and got, you know, when I bought them two weeks ago, this shows you how, as many years as I've done this, I thought we would be here two weeks ago, but here we are. They still, you know, they smell good. All right, so, um, if you're listening by recording, 
I'm holding an apple in my right hand and an orange in my left. Okay? Now I want you to imagine for a moment, you know, that I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay? We're not going to do this, but let's just say I was going to break, I've done this at camp before, I think, but anyway, let's just say I was going to, I'm going to break all of you up into groups of five or six, and I'm going to give every one of you an orange, and I'm going to give you 45 minutes to turn this orange into an apple. Right? You've got 45 minutes to make this orange an apple. Well, creative folks, you know, may take and start trying to mash it and push it in. You may raid one of these offices and find a red Sharpie and try to color it red. You may even get really creative, find some green construction paper, cut out a couple of leaves and stick a toothpick painted brown in there. But notice, everything that we've done to try and turn this orange into an apple is effort from the outside of this apple towards the inside of it. In other words, I'm sure there are people who are creative and artistic enough that they could, given the time, make this orange look identical to this apple. Right? But if I was to break their orange-looking apple open, it would still be an orange on the inside. Because the only way to save this orange from an eternity in the devil's hell, because everybody knows all oranges go to hell and all apples go to heaven, right? Okay. It's the only way to save this orange from what every orange that's ever existed has coming is to somehow reproduce it from the seed of an apple for it to become something completely different than it is by nature now. And the only way to do that is for it to come to be again having been produced this time from this seed instead of this seed. Are you following me? Now, before you were born again, before I was born again, this was our nature. We had the nature of an orange. And the only way we could ever be right with God, the only way we could ever be one with Him again, the only way we could ever have fellowship with Him, the only way we could ever be uh, saved, rescued from our doom, is if we could somehow become an apple. How in the world? I can't make myself something that I'm not. Are you following what I'm saying here? So it's like, well, I'm, I'm just doomed then, Right? But Jesus came, right? He came to seek out all those who had the nature of an orange and save them by making it possible for them to be born a second time of His seed. Of His seed. Of a different seed. Of an incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. I was just thinking back, Sister Terry, she's a school teacher for so many years. I usually give her the apple after I do this. I guess I need to give you the apple, right? Amen. All right, so are you following me so far? Are you following me so far? Now, we're going to get to this later, but I want to I remind you of when we were going through some different things, and those of you who are not here, that the Bible speaks of a reality that exists in your spirit and a completely different reality that exists in your flesh. 
Let me give you a couple of verses right quick. Galatians chapter 4. Stay where you are in Romans 5. You write it down. Stay where you are. Amen. You say you're being silly. Look it up if you want to. I'm just kidding around, but amen. I Thank you, Jesus. All right? It does something for me mentally to know that I've at least got you looking at that verse where we're going to break new ground tonight, okay? Galatians 4 says, because the first three chapters of Galatians, some of you remember this, some of you I'm watering, some of you I'm planting, okay? The first three chapters of Galatians have been devoted to convincing you and me from the Word of God that we have become heirs of God, sons and daughters of God, children of God, born of His seed, and also adopted by Him, so that we're not just in His family, that would be born of Him, but adopted by Him, meaning now, by law, a, a Jewish family that adopted an orphan boy had to adopt that orphan boy as a firstborn son to make him a joint heir with the firstborn son. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why is that? Well, because they would go adopt children, right? But they weren't really adopting orphans out of the goodness of their heart. They were adopting orphans because they were cheap labor and they didn't have to pay them, right? So that was, of course, you know, an injustice. So they said, I'll tell you what, big guy, if you're going to adopt him, you're going to make him equal to your firstborn or you're not going to adopt him. That was the law. So the Bible teaches that we've been born of his seed and have been adopted. Now, again, people look at this and they think, well, I've been adopted by God, and they just think that means somehow they're not as, they're like a second-class child of God. No, no, no. You've been born of his seed and adopted by him. This is what makes you, according to Romans 8, an heir of God the Father and a co-heir with the firstborn son. Remember, Jesus used to be called the only begotten son, right? Yes? You familiar with that? After he died on the cross, he is no longer referred to in Scripture as the only begotten, but he is now referred to as the firstborn among many brethren. That's a good, that's, that's a good verse right there, right? Okay. Now, this is what Galatians 4 says. Watch me carefully, okay? The heir, born again spirit, just like Jesus, okay? The heir, as long as he is a, as let's rewind that, okay. The heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he is Lord of all. Again, the heir, as long as he's a child, child means ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf, differs nothing from a slave though he is or be Lord of all. So he's talking about somebody who's large and in charge and at the same time living like a slave. Because their mind has not been renewed to accommodate who they really are. Why are they still living like a slave? Because they're thinking like a child, they're living like a slave. Even though they are Lord of all. Come on now, this, don't let this condemn you, let this excite you, right? The one who's free, because whom the Son is set free is free, shall enough indeed. So, whom the Son is set free is free indeed. But as long as the free thinks like a slave, he or she will live like a slave even though they're free. You're seeing this, right? How about this one? Hebrews 10, 14. By one offering of himself, speaking of Jesus, he has perfected forever. Not will perfect, not going to perfect. Has perfected. 
by one offering of Himself, He has perfected those who are being sanctified. You know what He just said? He said, you're a perfect work in progress. How can you be both at the same time? Two realities at the same time, right? The Bible says, although my outward man is perishing, my inward man is being renewed day by day. Outward man's going in one direction, inward man's getting better and better and better, while the outward man is, reaches a pinnacle in, in what, late teens, early 20s, and then age, age starts to take over, okay? Two realities, same being, same time. Two realities, same being, same time. Right? See, the religious world says something to this effect. Well, if she was really saved, she wouldn't act like that. Right? Because we think that because somebody's living like a slave, that that means they are a slave. Okay? Right? But that's not what this means. If you're born again, you're not a slave. Your mind may still be consumed with past things, and you may still think like the person you used to be, and because of that, you may still live like that person, but that's not who you are. That is not who you are. And so the key, of course, is the mind being renewed to what's true about you. That's discipleship, right? Well, anybody remember this one? Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. We became something through the new birth that we were not before. The problem is we know more about the person we were than the person we became. We're more familiar with the old nature that doesn't even exist in us anymore than the new nature that now does exist in us. And so because we're more familiar with and know more about and think more like that old nature, we still tend to live like that old person even though that's not who you are anymore, my brother, sister. That's just nothing but straight up good news right there. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh, would to Jesus somebody. Would to Jesus I knew this when I was younger, right? I struggle for some... One of the, I'm passionate about the truth, period, but one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this is because I struggled for so many years in my walk with Jesus because nobody ever explained this to me. I thought that whatever I did here determined who I was here. And so if I was having a good week, then I must be a pretty good person. But if I was having a bad week, I must be a, a lousy person on my way to hell and probably never even was saved, didn't mean it when I asked him, you know. And, and my gosh, we, we got to break free from those lies. We we gotta we gotta break free from, uh, you know from from that. Uh, it's 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 just a, it just creates such a stranglehold on people, and um, you know the truth is what'll set you free, and and knowing and understanding the truth about who you are in Christ Jesus and finding out more and more about that um, is uh, is really and truly it's it's the heavy lifting of discipleship. In, in other words, all else flows from that. Because remember, until you know what you are, you'll never know who you are. And until you know who you are, you'll never know why you are. And so we're in no position to understand who we are until we understand spirit, soul, and body. I'm going to say one last thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, Romans 5 unless the Holy Spirit redirects me, okay? So I used to think that what I did determined who I was. And if I'd only listened what we're called it would have probably helped me but it makes sense now looking back that it didn't make sense then okay I am not a human doing I am a human being who you be determines what you do what you do does not determine who you be See, oh, come on, sister. Amen.
Seed determines who you be. Seed determines who you be. Amen? Amen. Yes. No, it's never too much to ask me to talk about that, okay? <laughs> so we drove a stake in the heart of the lie that continues to exist among so many born-again believers. And that lie is that we have two natures in us now. And what the Bible teaches, and we will go into this in great explanation when we look at identifying with the completed work of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross, he did everything that he, when he said it's finished, okay, <laughs> you know, he did all that for you. And so the Bible says, for instance, and we'll look at all the verses on this, when he was buried, you were buried with him. And when he was raised up, you were raised to newness of life with him. And what he did in that is, you died with him, your old nature, your old person, the old you, who you used to be. Okay, it's one of, one of my favorite songs, Big Daddy. We I probably do it seven times Saturday, over and over and over. You know, I've been redeemed, right? Yeah. The old man inside of me, right? He's long dead and gone, long dead and gone, right? So this, the old man that you were was buried in an unmarked grave. And so people say, well, you know, I have these two natures now. If you have two natures, then what Jesus did for you is not enough. So quit, people shouldn't say that. But the reason it seems like we have two natures is because our old nature left an imprint, a residue, if you will, on our soul, on our thinking. And so... This is why, again, it's so critical, and we'll spend, it looks like the way things are falling, it's going to be some of our last classes together where we talk about the renewing of the mind and what that is and what that looks like. But our mind, let me say it this way, your mind was conditioned by the old person you, want, you were before you were born again. This part is a completed work. The Bible talks about this in, in past tense. Has perfected. This part of you is a work in progress. And it's this part that was conditioned by the old man. So we have to recondition this part with the Holy Spirit's help, with the Word of God's help, and by doing what we're doing right now, committing ourselves to the Word of God and to learning and growing in the truth uh, and then acting on it by faith. Amen? Okay. If you wait till, see, the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are, you are just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. For those of you who were here Sunday night, it's one of my favorite Sunday nights in a long, 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 long time, okay? And we were talking about fellowship. I know that's no surprise to you, those of you who've been here on Sunday some. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we've been called to the same fellowship with the Father as Jesus. Okay? Not just to have fellowship with God the Father, but the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys. Yes? Okay. So when Colossians tells us that when Jesus got did for us what he did for us and we received it for ourselves that we were made holy blameless and above reproach and then presented before God in that condition 
to have fellowship with Him. Think with me now. The only way to have the same fellowship with God the Father is to have been given the same standing with God the Father that Jesus has. You can't have the same fellowship with the Father unless you have the same standing with the Father as Jesus. And because God the Father wanted to have the same fellowship with you that He had with Jesus, He gave you a gift of right standing with Him that is the same as Jesus has with Him. Man, I'm going to pause this recording and go run around this building and come back. Hallelujah. 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 But listen to me now. Please listen to me. Righteousness by faith. Faith doesn't say, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not faith. Faith says, I believe it's true because God's Word says, it true, says it's true even though there's no evidence in my life at this point to substantiate it being true. Yes? Okay, so watch this. You are just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus. You were born of His seed. Meaning His nature and characteristics have been reproduced in you. No grandchildren. One seed. Every single one of us been born from the one seed. Christ Jesus. Seed Seed determines nature, right? Now watch this though. If you wait to see righteousness in your behavior before you believe you're righteous, you'll never see it. You'll never see it. What am I telling you? You've got to believe you are even if there is absolutely no evidence in your behavior to confirm it. You've got to start, you, you start saying it. You've got to believe it. You've got to start saying it absolutely right here. Believe it in the heart, right? If you wait until you feel free to believe you're free, what did I say? Well, go sure enough. Free. If you wait till you feel free before you believe you are, you never will. You never will. Thank you for that, Chris. All right, Romans 5. Here's an important statement, okay? We were born sinners. We were born again righteous. Or we could say born again saints. All right. There is no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. Now you say, Pastor Mark, that's, I, I, whoa, hold on, back up a minute, sir. Now I understand that there are ways to punctuate that, but it's not I am a sinner saved by grace. If you want to correct it at all, I was a sinner saved by grace. Therefore, I am not a sinner anymore I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Notice how that statement, it sounds so spiritual. It even sounds so humble, right? Oh, we're humbling ourselves, Pastor Mark. We're, we're humbling ourselves. I'm just, in, how about, I love it this way. You know, I, we, I had a pastor, you know, he, he kind of, amen, you know, had some jowls on him, you know, and he would kind of shake them, right? And he would, he would put in there, I'm just an old sinner. An old sinner. He'd shake his jowls, right? 
just an old sinner saved by grace, right? And it sounds so humble, right? It's like, oh, that, that poor man, me too. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, right? Except for I'm young, but I'm still an old sinner, right? You know, and, and so we say that, and it just sounds so religious, right? It is a lie from the pits of hell to keep you confused about who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'll tell anybody that listens, I, I was a sinner, man. I wasn't just born of sin seed and corrupted seed and born into iniquity, the Bible says. I was, I was a child of damnation and a son of disobedience, and then I went on and just doubled down on it and, and, and did it myself too, right? Just in case, right? I wanted to make sure, so I just went on and lived that way myself as well, you know? But I don't know who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And when somebody says, I'm a sinner saved by grace, either they don't understand what they're saying, they just heard somebody else say it, Mama and him, and it sounded good. Or the preacher shaking his jowls and so now we say it. But again, it's, that's, that's not from our Father's heart concerning you, okay? Now, this is, um, to me, and it's, it's distilled from the Word of God, but this is one of the most favorite things the Lord ever said to me, Okay? And he said this, he said, It was not your sin that made you a sinner any more than it was your good works that made you righteous. Okay? I will, more than once if I need to. It was not your sin that made you a sinner any more than it was your good works that made you righteous. I was a sinner, and I certainly committed sin. But what caused me to have the nature of a sinner was not my sin. Because it's not what I do that determines what I be. I sinned, but my sin did not make me a sinner. I sinned because I was born a sinner. Who I be determined what I did. Because I was a sinner, I sinned. Not, I sinned so I became a sinner. I was born a sinner. It was not my sin that made me a sinner. By nature. I keep emphasizing that. By nature. Okay? Now, it was not your sin that made you a sinner any more than it was your good works that made you righteous. Again, I'm looking at some pretty good people in this room, right? Love people, help people, give to people, generous towards people. Even before we were saved, right? I mean, we weren't like heathens all the time. I mean, we, we did some good things, helped some people. You know, amen? I got the right bunch, right? Okay. But again, you can't do enough good here to change who you are here. And you can't do enough bad here to change who you are here. The only thing that will change this is seed. Or you've got to be born. I see some of you getting nervous. Alright. One more time. It was not your sin that made you a sinner anymore that it was your good works that made you righteous. I was a sinner because I was born from corrupted seed. I am righteous now because I was born of an incorruptible seed. Incorruptible means it can't be contaminated. 
That's why 1 John 3 says, <laughs> ah! That's why 1 John 3 says, because his seed abides in me, I cannot sin. Now, he said in a chapter before that, he said, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. <laughs> right? <laughs> Did I just confuse you? He said, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But if your seed abides in you, you don't sin because you can't sin. Wasn't talking about here. He was talking about here. Whew, sweet Jesus. Romans 5. Let's go to verse number 12. Oh, thank you, Father. Man, I just, uh, uh, uh. I think I'm starting here in August. No, I'm just kidding. May not be some. Uh... Okay, Romans five. You ready? Let's begin at verse number twelve. It, it, the first part of this is talking about we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We are now permanently uh, planted in grace. We deal with pressure, but as long as we keep moving forward, all that pressure is going to do is develop endurance, which is going to produce even greater hope within us. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's pouring out the love of God in our lives. He then talks about Jesus you know, who died for us when we were yet sinners. When we were yet sinners, He demonstrated His love for us. He gives these, like, thought-provoking statements. For a good man or a righteous man, other people have been known to die, but nobody wants to give their life for just a despot or, you know, uh, uh, you know somebody living in sin and debauchery. And yet that is exactly what Jesus did. So the Bible says that in verse 10, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, that means to be restored into right standing and relationship with Him, um, then uh, through, his, through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So the simple point here is the love demonstrated on the cross is not all the love that God has for humanity. That was simply the love that He demonstrated and has for those who are His enemies. Okay, But you're not His enemy anymore if you've been born again, you've been born of His seed, you've become one with Him, You've, be, you've been born of His nature. And so if He did all that for you while you were waving the middle finger of your life in His face, now that you are one with Him and He doesn't even remember all the things that you did in the past, how much more does He love you? How much more willing is He to help you? And how much more determined is He to keep you to and on beyond through the very end? Amen? Okay. Then that leads us to verse 12. Therefore, in light of what we just said, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. The consequences of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. And thus death spread to all men, because all, notice that's an important word there in verse 12, all sinned. Now, if you look at how this is written, you, you may casually think, yeah, okay, he's saying that we we all commit sin or we all will sin. That's not what he says. He said sin entered through one man. Anybody want to guess who that one man was? Adam. Sin entered through the one man, Adam. Okay? And because sin entered, it opened the door for the consequence of sin to come behind it, and the consequence of sin is death. Yes? Okay. And then death spread because of one man's sin, to all men. 
Well, you think, wait a second, one guy sinned and I died because Adam sinned. Yeah, because when Adam sinned, all sinned. Now, don't don't think I'm talking over your head. If this seems confusing to you, it's okay because it's, amen. We've got to dig into what he's saying here. So verse 13 begins with this statement. It's a statement of explanation. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Let's talk about that for a minute. The law came through Moses. Ten Commandments, you've seen the movie maybe. Heard about it at least. Sometimes we don't think about this, but let's think about it now. Until those Ten Commandments came from God to Moses, through Moses, to His people, God had only given one commandment to mankind. And that one commandment was, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat that, it will be a sin. You're going against my word. And in the day that you eat of it, you will die. They ate it, and they died. They did not die biologically. They died, we could say spiritually, or were shut off from, separated, because death is separation. They were separated from the life and nature of God. Now, what we know from Scripture is that no other human being ever ate of that tree besides them, Adam and Eve. And therefore, no other human being committed a sin slash broke a law until Moses received those ten laws, those ten commandments from God. You say, wait a second, Pastor Mark. You're telling me nobody did anything wrong. Well, certainly people did things that were considered wrong. But what does it say? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. That word imputed means it's not held against you. It's, it, you're, you're not given, weird way of saying it, credit for it. It's an accounting word. It's not accounted. Nobody's keeping track. Nobody's keeping a record. Okay? Are you following what I'm saying? I, I think I mentioned this last week. Let me, let me, let me mention it again. Okay? Um, the new speed limit on the five lane out here in Hueytown is 40 miles an hour. Well, most people, you know, travel on a five lane road, it's 45 is like the low side, sometimes on up to 65 miles an hour. Okay? But if you do 40, my daughter was pulled over doing 41 out there. Thank God didn't write her tickets, gave her a warning. He even told her she was doing 41. She's like, yeah, okay. All right. So, in other words, and he could have written her a ticket if he wanted to because she broke the law. The law posted was 40. Now, when you go up into like wide open spaces, Montana, North Dakota, what have you, um, as a matter of fact, I drove from Denver to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's home in Jackson, Wyoming, and um, the interstate there is like as far as you can see and like maybe one car every hour or something that goes the other way. 
the speed limit on a vast majority of that road is 80 miles an hour. All right, get there faster, man. Let's set the cruise, right? So, but there are actually stretches of road like that. Guess what? There are no speed limits posted because there's no law given. You cannot be held accountable for driving too fast. In other words, you can't break a law if a law's not there, which the role of the road is drive at your own risk and drive at your own pace. Are you following me? Okay. So what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is doing here is nothing short of brilliant, nothing short of genius. He's trying to help you and me understand what is a rather complex, complicated truth in the sense that he's trying to show us that when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him, and it was because of Adam's sin that we were all born sinners, and he's using all the people who were born after Adam and before Moses, so to speak, or before the law was given to Moses, up until that moment, this unique group of people that existed on planet earth, I call them the sinless sinners. Meaning what? They never broke one of God's laws. Now, if they'd have went and ate the tree from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have broke one of His commandments. But nobody did that, and there were no other speed limit signs posted, so they were traveling at the speed of life as they chose. Okay, so, But He's saying that even though none of these people broke one of My commandments, they all died anyway. Are you following this? Meaning they all suffered the consequences of sin even though they committed no sin of their own. No sin was imputed to them by God, but they still died. So let's talk for a minute then about the power of seed. Again, I'm asking you, but more than just asking you, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us. Okay? Every, all right, bring your hearts to attention. Let's get this, all right? Every human being that has ever lived or ever will live, amen. Now, let's just say it that way. If some of you, what about cruel magnon man? I'll say, okay, I'm talking about right now. Because if those people existed, I'm not here to stir up anything. Praise God. Where's Jamie? Amen. Amen. We have this conversation, right? Amen. All right. That's my sister from another mister back there. All right. So, um, but even if those people existed, we see that, that through Adam's line, it went straight down to Noah, and then after that, anybody and everybody was wiped out. So from Noah on. Yes? You follow me? I need to draw it. You got it? So, every human being that exists now on planet Earth, let's just say it that way, descended from Adam. Okay? Did I go too crazy on you there for a minute? Descended from Adam. So therefore, every human being on planet Earth now or will be in the future, listen to it now very carefully, it's in all caps and underlined twice in my notes, every human being was in Adam when Adam sinned. We were in him in seed form. You follow me? Again, men and women mixed group tonight, but the Bible says it this way. We were in His loins. We were in His body. 
in seed form. And so every human being was born from his seed, which caused his seed to reproduce again and again and again people with a corrupted nature, sin nature, sometimes referred to as an Adamic nature, A-D-A-M-I-C, right? Because we were in Him when He sinned. Now sometimes my wife elbows me when I say this, but I like to say it this way anyway, okay? When Adam stepped in it, we all stepped in it with Him. Now, the writer of Hebrews reveals the truth about seed to us this way. And it's kind of an outlier, but in in the sense that it's talking about tithing. We're not here to receive an offering tonight, so just relax for a moment, okay? But in clarifying the confusion over Jesus being our high priest and yet not being from the tribe of Levi, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, offers us this explanation. Okay? Now, I'm going to get a drink of water. We're going to talk about this. Okay? Are you good? Everybody blessed? Everybody okay? All right. Amen. So the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people. This is important. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the book of Acts. Okay? Then after Acts, it begins with Romans. The book of Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Okay? 1st and 2nd Corinthians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, and then another letter, 2nd Corinthians, a second letter written to the church at Corinth. The point I'm trying to emphasize, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, are you following what I'm saying? All of these were letters written to the church, the church meaning the born-again people who resided in these areas, in these geographical regions, Okay? The one exception is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is not written specifically to or only to born-again men and women. The book of Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people. And in that letter, there are things that pertain to and speak directly to Hebrew Jewish people who have been born again. And there are things in that letter that speak to Hebrew people who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus, who had their children healed by Jesus, who were present when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, but for whatever reason, they have not yet invested saving faith in Jesus. And now they're getting older because 30 years have passed. And so the writer of Hebrews is not just trying to give instruction to born-again Hebrew people, but he is also, or she is also, some people even ascribe this you know, uh, to a female author, and I have no problem with that whatsoever, but just hear me. The author, the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, that's the most important thing, is going after Hebrew people who tasted of the divine gift of Jesus and have not yet received Him as their Lord and Savior. Okay? Now, so the letter begins by establishing the supremacy of Jesus. 
The supremacy of Jesus, for example, over angels. Right? Now, what we see in chapter 7 of Hebrews is that the Jewish people understood that a priest was to descend from Father Levi. Levi was one of Jacob's twelve sons. And Jacob's twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel. It's, it's fascinating to read that the plan of God was for the entire nation of Israel to become priests unto Him and represent the rest of the nations on planet earth uh, before Him. But, the, the, but Israel would not submit to that. And so God relented and He established the descendants of Levi to serve as priests to the other 11 tribes making up the nation of Israel. So if you've ever heard the expression, the Levitical priesthood, if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, L-E-V-I, Levi, Levitical, Leviticus, okay? Now, if you understand Jesus' um, uh, family line, He did not descend from Levi, but He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Judah was Levi's brother, right? So, the argument among Jewish people in their day would go something like this. I heard him preach. Yes, I saw him perform miracles. Yes, I was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But do you not know? He's not from Levi. He's from Judah. So how can he be our high priest? The high priest that had been promised would one day come. It confused him. It threw him off, right? And so the writer of Hebrews is addressing these things. Lots of their hiccups and hang-ups. He's addressing them. He's using the Old Testament to explain to them. Are you still with me? Amen. Alright, so let's go then to Hebrews chapter 7. Alright, let's go there for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that you're, he you're helping us rightly divide it and skillfully apply it. Thank you, Father. Alright, Hebrews chapter 7. Oh, let me see. I can find it myself here. Alright, there it is. Um, so, here is the answer. Let me just read it and then we'll explain the passage, okay? Um, let's begin at... Let's begin at verse 7. We could start at verse 1. But let's begin at verse 7. It says, Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Look at me for a moment, okay? I'm sure i got a room full of tithers in here. Don't you ever think for one moment that when you tithe, you're tithing to a man, an organization. You know, it, it may be a man or a woman holding the bucket or the basket. 